welcome to Coffee with Casey. Sorry, we're running a little late today. Uh, we're going to be at 12.30 for a little while. I've got some, some mastermind things that they meet at 11 o'clock on Thursday. So I'm going to test it out for a little while and we'll see if it be a permanent change or just a temporary. We're going to have to change it to maybe lunch with Casey. I don't know. Figure it out. I much prefer cocktails with Casey for a five o'clock show. But let's go with let's go with what's going on in the market. And things are changing. Things are moving. A lot of money at stake as always. So let's let's talk about what's going on with the market. Uh, and today I'm going to show you some charts that are really going to blow your mind. So there is let's you know how I say the most important two words for me are seems like it's like seems like prices are just gone a little too high, right? So it seems like price too high. Well, prove it. How do you prove it? Well, what if you take a value of a house back in 2010? And he said, if it moved with inflation, it would be worth X amount of dollars. Now, the question is, does the price that people are paying, does it coincide with the value adjusted for inflation? I'm going to show you some charts. Going to scare you a little bit, a little crazy. But um, I'll, talk, I'll talk you through these new charts. Okay, we're going to talk about the strategies in this changing market, how we need to collaborate, how sellers and realtors and buyers need to communicate and talk. And I'm also going to talk about a little mirroring, how you can, you know, when you hear a term or something, um, how you can mirror your realtor or your buyer or seller or an agent that's bringing in contracts or whatever. It's extremely important that we get as much information as we can and everybody be on the same page because we're going to talk about, you know, this collaboration, it's us against the rest of the market. It's us against the websites that give inaccurate um, uh, pricing. I mean, that's very dangerous. It, we're against agents coming in here and trying to throw higher numbers and prices and sellers falling for it. We're here, you know, there's a lot of things that we need to protect ourselves against We'll talk about it a little bit that today. But first, let's go on. Let's go online and let's go and find my um, coffee with Casey. All right. So let's start with let's start with um, um, the charts as we always do. And the green is how many what percentage of homes were under contract in April of this year, right? So. To determine whether a market is in the hands of the buyers or the sellers, the higher that number, the more homes that are under contract, the more control the sellers have of that. So if you look at Oak Hill, if 84% of the homes were under contract, well, those sellers have a firm grasp on that and can make all the rules, right? So now we know that you know the market is, is what it is. It's softening a little bit. We have some buyers that are getting scared off by higher interest rates. And this is where we stand right now in the blue. So 49, 46, 50. Remember, once you get under 40, now you're in a buyer's market, okay? So now we've, you know, anything under 40 is a buyer's market. 40 to 60 is a neutral market. Anything over 60% is dead on a seller's market, right? More than that. So as you can see right now, as we're coming along, I gotta rip this thing off if you don't mind. Um, you know, you'll see we're at 49, 50, 63, 57, you know, so we are not where we were. Um, these are in now in neutral markets, neutral markets, just leaving a seller's market here in, uh, in Reston, but 
you can see all of these are in neutral markets. Now, what does that mean? So let me, let me just explain that. Before, in another market, most houses, 40% of the homes that were listed for sale would withdraw unsold, okay? It wasn't like that for the last couple months or you know the spring of last year, spring of this year. If you put the house on the market, there was such a lack of inventory, somebody would scruff it up in 10 days. Now, the question is, if you do it right, you get a lot of money. If you do it wrong, you sell it, but you don't get a lot of money. You don't get the big numbers, right? The big numbers are for the houses that get smart about how they do it, right? So everybody's pretty much selling. But now we're going to move to that, that part of the market where we don't grade the market on how much money you get. You grade the market on how many homes are withdrawn. So your, your, um, your choice goes from sell to sell with a lot of money. Now it's going to be don't sell, sell. Okay. That's how the market's going to start moving because what's going to happen is I'm going to show you here in a second. People are going to start overpricing houses and that's going to, that's not going to end well for anybody. So let's look at how, where we were and where we're going. So in January, and this is a 10 mile radius um, of our international headquarters here in Vienna. So 78% of the homes were under contract and you can see it's dramatically gone down. So right now the entire market, right? If we looked at the whole market is in a neutral market. We were solid, solid, solid as a rock, solid as a rock, starting to feel it still in the seller's market. Now we're in a neutral market, okay? So we need to know what we're dealing with, right? So now here's a chart. This will this will rock your world. Now this is for a house that's 2,750 square feet, built in in what 1985, and this is in let's say it's in the 20120, which is Centerville. Okay, so let's say we go back to you know fiscal year 2010. We said okay, this house is worth 561 thousand dollars. So this orange line is what happens if you applied the appreciation rate to $561,000 and this is what the value of the house is based on its inflation, right? Based on inflation. Now, so when I said Centerville, and I've said this before, I thought Centerville was underpriced, right? Centerville's underpriced because I'm gonna show you some other charts. Doesn't look like this, a little different. So I say Centerville's under undervalued because they're selling for less than they really should sell for. So they're undervalued, right? Incomes 2020. This is where the pandemic hits. Okay. Now the fuse was lit when basically interest rates dropped to two and a half percent. That lit the fuse. And it was, and the rocket took off because there was no houses to buy. So what happened was the value of um, adjusted for inflation went in this direction, but the actual purchases went in this direction. So, you know, if you feel that the house is overpriced, it is it, relative to where it should be. It, it is. Now, is it coming back down anytime soon? No, not coming back down. And, and again, I'm going to tell you, there's two things that feed the market. One is fear and the other is greed, right? So, the sellers see that 840, they're not moving back. They just discern not put it on the market, then, then go back down. So you're still going to have a limited supply. If you want to buy a house in that neighborhood and there's only one out there or two out there, you're going to have to pay the price, right? 
So people need houses and that's just what the price is right now, right? Now as inflation rises, will this rise as much with it? Not really. I mean, you're gonna see them start to level off a little bit in the next two, three years, but don't panic if you're paying these numbers. It's, it's not, you know, again, all I'm saying is the value adjusted for inflation of a house that's 2,750 square feet in Centerville is $723,000. That's what it should be selling for. But in fact, the pricing and the way it's, uh, the way the buyers have been reacting it's going for 840. So is it overvalued? Yeah, people need to have houses. They're going to pay that number. Let's take a look in, in um, I guess this is uh, Vienna. So this is a 3,500 square foot house, right? Now, adjusted for inflation, same house. Now look at the Vienna homes. See how they're overpriced? They're over the appraised, uh, what it would be adjusted for inflation. So could these be overvalued? Yeah, a little bit, you know? Are people willing to pay a premium for Vienna? Maybe, maybe. Um, and then again, here comes the bewitching here. This happened in 2019 where they started to pick up. And then of course, once 2020 happened, then all hell broke loose, okay? So now a 3,500 square foot house in Vienna currently sells for $1.5 million. Adjusted for inflation, it's worth $1.2 million. That's a big number. Right? It's a big number. Does that mean you should stop buying houses? The answer is no. It's just, it's don't expect it to keep going up like this, right? Inflation, even though it's rising, even though inflation is rising, not rising that fast. So 25% appreciation, I mean, 25%, um, yes, appreciation of pricing, but only 12% inflation. So there you've got a big gap between what people are paying and what it's worth. Okay, so here's one that got a little weird. This is just a, you know, the big houses in Oakton. So you got big, big homes in Oakton. Um, and you can see their, their line got a little, little high. So they were overpriced there for a while. And then once they got overpriced, look what happened to them. Then that price came down. There was a lull between 216 and say 219. The home in 2016, a big, the big house in Oakton were selling for the same thing, almost the same amount in 2020. And then all heck broke loose, right? There's the trigger. There's somebody lit a match. There's somebody lit a match and said, all right, low interest rates, you know, um, no homes on the market, none of that, pandemic, boom. It's $500,000, eh, $450,000 higher. Let's say it's up 20%. If this number, 20% higher than what it probably should be, right? Now, are people going to pay $2 million for the house? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Why? Because that's the price. And there's nothing else on the market. And if you're a doctor to know that just came down from New, uh, New England or, or New York or something like that, and you need to find a house and at uh, you know near Inova and a beautiful neighborhood, two million dollar homes, and that's the only thing you've got. You're gonna buy that house. Got a pool? Yeah, got a pool. Beautiful house? Oh yeah, beautiful house. Is it worth two million? Yes, yeah, worth two million. Now adjusted for inflation, maybe one point six. But the bottom line is the prices, the buyers. That is what the buyer is willing to pay. So you know, homes sell for what buyers are willing to pay. And right now I'm just telling everybody that 
you know, let's say the market does turn sour. And let's say that that more homes come on the market because the homes are inflated, the values are inflated. Let's say the inventory starts coming up, interest rates go up, and the market starts to soften. I'm just telling everybody, you know, what will happen is a realtor will come in here and say, oh, this is, uh, two, we need to put it on for two, 20, uh, 2.15. They go, you need to put it right down here. Because let me tell you something, that thing could start correcting as everybody's putting their prices up too high. If you put your price right here at 1.9 or 1.85, you're gonna get the highest possible number. People are still gonna bid the houses up. Two weeks ago, we had a house bid up $285,000. Three weeks ago, we had a house bid up $300,000. So are they still bidding? Yes. Why? They need houses. These are not want-tos. These aren't want-to buyers. These are need-to buyers. And a need-to buyer is going to pay what it's priced at. Now, it's way overpriced. You know, then they're going to, it's a comparison thing. They'll find houses otherwhere that, that, um, you know, or maybe a better value or something like that. But right now, if you find a house and that's what the house is selling for compared to the other houses in other towns, then that's what it's paying for. And that's what you're going to pay, right? So all I'm saying is, right this second, we need to be aware. We are overvalued. We're clearly overvalued. So we just need to um, be ready for an adjustment. I don't think it's going to adjust down a lot, but you cannot get aggressive in a market like that. Does that make sense to everybody? Let me see if I got anything else. That's about it. That was from last week where we tried to get ripped off at settlement by a settlement company and everybody needs to be aware. And you know, that brings, that brings up a, a, a great topic what I wanna to talk about today, okay? So collaboration with the seller, right? You gotta be a team. The person's gotta, gotta really trust that realtor. So you need to interview them. You need to look at their track record. How many times have you sold? What's your days on market? What's your percentage of assessment? How much do you really know what you're doing? Then once that happens, you need to trust that realtor. Once you have them, and this is the realtor that you trust, you need to form a team and a bond. And if you have a concern, you need to tell them about that concern. You need to talk about that. Perfect example. I say house worth 1.65 million. That's what it's worth. Southern wants 1.8 million. Can you talk about that, right? Might get 1.8 million, but you're not going to get it starting at 1.8 million. You're going to get it starting 1.65 million. So, and let me tell you why it's so important that we collaborate and make sure we're all on the same page before we go anywhere. Because there are outside forces out there that are working against your team, right? The market. It's going to get hairy out there. The winds are going to blow. The seas are going to get rough. And we just need to be very calm about what we're doing to make sure we navigate our way through. Because if you get too aggressive in a bad market, you're going to end up withdrawing. And it's going to be a very bad experience for you. We haven't seen a lot of withdrawals. We're going to start seeing withdrawals. So the, the search engines. A search engine may inflate the value of your house. And in your head, you think it's worth $1.8 million. We're going to price it at $1.8 million. You can't do that. See, that website has, has embedded in your mind a false expectation of what you can do. So that's one of the enemies. The other enemy is you got people coming in saying, hey, I think the house worth 1.8. That's what we ought to list it for. Hey, my company's a big name company. You can trust us. See, 
these are all negatives that they can come in and if they can't beat you because their track record is better, they can't beat you because the commission rate is better, they're gonna try and beat you by saying, I can get you a higher number for your house. That's where the withdrawals happen. I mean, uh, three years ago, I tracked all the houses that decided they wanted the list too high. And, you know, 75% of them all withdrew. They, their average days on market was 380. So, you know, these things happen. So we're gonna get to that phase where that outside world, the, the market conditions, the websites, the agents that wanna overprice your house, that don't wanna, you know, that will allow escalation clauses. You know, all of the, you're gonna start seeing more home inspections, right? A home inspector is the most dangerous part of a transaction, right? I think we had four home inspections in two years. Two of them scared the heck out of the buyer and they withdrew without even talking to us. They just withdrew, right? And we had to move to contract number two. Four, two withdrew. That's a 50% kill ratio, right? So if you don't think I'm concerned about home inspectors, you got nothing coming to me. So, so the home inspections are gonna start happening. The appraisal contingencies, the financing contingencies are gonna be there which allow buyers to walk away from transactions. So we are starting to see all of these things that could happen. And the more control the buyers have, the more all of these things come into play. Let me give you another example. A buyer agent who is fighting against our team, right? Is gonna bring in a contract and they're gonna say, hey, I want an escalation clause. Um, we'll give you a list price plus 2000 over what anybody else will give you. Right. Okay. Well, we don't allow escalation clauses. Right. And so the buyer agent came back who was their job is to get the best deal for the buyer. So of course they're punching it down our throat. They want the escalation, no escalation. Sorry. So they brought back a contract that was a hundred thousand dollars over list price. They were the only buyer. They were the only bidder. Had they stayed there, that's fine. My job is not to let them get in the back door for the list price if I think we can get more money out of them. So that's the difference between if we allow an escalation clause, which lets them come in at list price and then bump the highest offer to $2,000. Well, what if they're the only contract? Highest and best will make them come up 100. We've had 100, we've had 150, we've had 105, we had 175, right? And then when people are bidding for houses, some will, a, a seller uh, that I was just with coined it as saying, you keep them in, I like it the way you keep them in the dark. And I haven't heard that term, but that, that is absolutely correct. You're in the dark, you're blind, you're blind drawing it, man. So, you know, we could come in at 1.25, 1.27, 1.435, over the next highest offer, 150. So that's what highest and best offers will do. So, you know, that's a tool we use. And we just have to remember, again, we and the seller need to be on the same page because all of these negative things are gonna come in and it's our job to carry through 120, 130 of these transactions while we protect the people. Now, what's the best way to protect them, right? What's the best way to be protected against all of this nonsense that's going on in the market? Well, you have to make sure the house is prepared. Right? You have to know what you're doing when you're preparing the house. The cosmetic features and whatnot need to be in that house because we're trying to attract as many people as we can possibly go. 
They're looking at it on the computer. They live in DC. They're looking in McLean. They've got to see something in Oakton or Vienna and go, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. Let's get in the car and drive 40 minutes out to see this house. So, so the preparation of the house has to be great because the more buyers, the more buyer control we have. Now, again, the collaboration between the seller and, and us, they need to trust us that you've got to do this if you want the kind of buyers. And they do. But it's easy. I mean, if you got a track record and you said we've done $67 million worth of these transactions and the entire office of Compass has only done $62 million, well, it's pretty easy to earn their trust if all of our houses are within the first five or six days of sales and the average home sells at 128%. So it's easier for us. But what I'm saying is you, if you're outside of our market area and you're dealing with a realtor, you really need to be on the same page and then you need to trust them. When they say fix something, fix it. When they say paint something, paint it, right? So we need to do that in order to get as many people in the house. We also need to make sure the price is correct. Forget about Zillow, forget about everything. We're in a different world right now. They've always been wrong. They always will be wrong. RPR is wrong. Uh, Realtor.com is wrong. Um, Redfin. I mean, there's you can't authenticate the numbers some of them are putting out. So we need to trust that the realtor you're working with has a pricing scheme, pricing model that knows what they're doing, right? Okay, so that's critical because you want to start at the right number. You want to market the living heck out of it to people outside of your market area, right? We want to pull them in from all over the place. People from the West Coast looking in McLean need to see Vienna. People from the Northeast that are looking in Arlington need to see Vienna, right? So we need to pull those people in and the seller's got to trust that we can get outside of the market area and start pulling as many people into the house as possible. One time we had one buyer for a house and he was sitting in a penthouse in New York. And he saw it in his Wall Street Journal feed that we knew he was looking in McLean, or at least geofencing knew he was looking at McLean at our price range. Google Ads sent him the ad in his Wall Street Journal feed. He's sitting in the penthouse in New York. He came down and bought the house. So, so I'm not sure where that one person is. We got to try it all. We got to get out there, right? But and then what? And then what you really have to do, and I've got to do this right now. I mean, I'm getting on the phone with two or three sellers, and I'm saying. You know, whether our testing of the market, our predictive analysis of our marketing, is it generating enough buyers? So one by one, I have to go through every listing that's getting, getting ready to go on the market and say, how many people do we have getting ready to show the house? How many people are favoring it? How big is the buyer pool? How many have gone to your website? How long did they stay? In order for us to launch a listing and know that we're going to get contracts, remember, all the magic happens in the first five days. That's when all the magic happens. After that, that's what I see. That's what we've seen. So, so again, these. Let me give you a perfect example. A group um, in uh, Senegal said. Um, you know, our neighbor's house sold for 1.43. We think we're better than our neighbor's house. We'd really like to get 1.45. Like, okay. So we put it on the market for 1.4. We tested and marketed and sent everybody. Blah, 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 blah. And we looked at it. We said, well, the buyer pool is so small and you've only got two people coming to see your house. But if we can get them in the house, they love your house. 
So I had to make that tough phone call. Same call I'm gonna make right now to three different sellers and say, hey, we gotta go from 1.4 down to 1.35. Yeah, but we wanted 1.45. They believed us and they trusted us. I said, okay, you know, why do we get on a roller coaster? Because a thousand people before me got on the same roller coaster and they all made it back. So that's why I get on the roller coaster. So, you know, if 40 people do something and have success, feel pretty safe that you can do it. So we dropped it from 1.4 to 1.35. They got 1.557. So even though they dropped 50,000, they got 207,000, right? Instead of getting 1.45, they got 1.557. Instead of having to worry about a home inspection, there was no home inspection. There was no appraisal. There was no nothing. And by the way, that contract was about $150,000 over the other contracts that came in. So highest and best. So two things were at play. The predictive analysis saved us from going off and not having any business, you know, not having any buyers saved us. And then the highest and best, I mean, that the, the lower price got everybody in the house, but the highest and best got someone, someone to bid a hundred and whatever it was, 40,000 over the next highest bid. So when I say it's a, collabor a con collaboration, it's a collaboration. Maybe I'm stroking out. Somebody called 911, tell them to go to 715. So, you know, it's gotta be, you've gotta have trust. You've gotta communicate. If a seller has a concern, I need to know about it. I mean, we're on the same team, right? So if your concern is, you don't wanna do an open house. Your concern is, I think we're pricing it too low. Your concern is whatever. We need to talk about it. We, we just, we need to communicate, right? So let me tell you the best way to communicate. We mirror people. Uh, Chris Voss, hostage negotiator, he teaches how to mirror people, right? We do it all the time. So, um, um, you know, the, the old example I usually use is, you know, the agent comes in and says, hey, my seller's going to address my contract. They're very anxious. And mirroring means say the word, the last word they said, say that back to them in a question and, and get in depth, right? So she said something that stirred me and said, my sellers are very anxious. And I said, anxious? And said, oh yeah, they've lost like five contracts and they, you know, blah, 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 blah. So, so this is a mirroring technique. So, and of course they came back, um, we said highest and best offer. They came back 150,000 over list price, mirroring. So we teach the sellers to mirror us. So if I say something that you don't understand, or, you know, I say, we really should be a 165. And they're like, 165, right? Well, I need to. We need to dig in because we're not on the same page with where we should be starting, right? I can tell you that the nine out of 10 that do get on the same page, it's beautiful. But one time we had a seller that told us that he prayed and God told him that it should be 200,000 more than we, than we thought. I can't argue with God. So we went off at that number. And of course, ooh, <sighs> So, you know, we need to be on the same page. You got to have trust. If you don't have trust, we can't, you can't work together. Don't work with a realtor you don't trust. And realtors, I have a lot of Samson Properties agents that watch this thing, I think. If someone doesn't trust you, 
then you can't work with them. So here's how you know whether they trust you or they don't, okay? Very simple. Are they asking you questions? If they're asking you questions, they trust you. If they're telling you something, if they're constantly telling you, yeah, but this, yeah, but that, yeah, but that, yeah, but this, yeah, but that, that, then they don't trust what you're saying. And they're, you know, that's not more of a conversation. A conversation is questions. Well, what about this? What about this? What about this? Then they value your opinion. But if they're going to tell you something, they don't value your opinion. And I, I've always told the agents um, at Samson Properties, it really is the best listings you're ever going to take are the ones you don't take, right? It's a 10%, 90% rule. 10% of them are going to give you 90% of the problem. If you don't take the bad listings, then you're wide open for your time, energy, and, you know, it takes all the energy out when you have a really difficult time, right? So really what I would say is sellers, if you don't trust your agent, buyers, if you don't trust your agent, you need to get another agent. If they haven't proven to you that they have the track record of doing, you know, taking the roller coaster out, bringing the roller coaster back safe, right? They don't have that kind of track record. You, it's funny, I had, we were talking with a, um, with a seller and he says, well, this, this other agent, you know, has his opinions, he's got strategy, strategy, strategy. And I looked at it, I said, well, he sold one house over a million dollars in two years. So I'm not sure, you know, every time you sell a house, you learn things, you learn, 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 learn. So I'm not quite sure what the strategy would tell him after one sale. So you really need to ask realtors, how many homes have you sold? What is the price you asked? What is the price you got? And what is the percentage of assessment? How do I know your success? You go to a doctor, he doesn't have a scoreboard, right? Well, you know, I lost a few. I, I won a few. I lost a few, you know. Um, they don't have a scoreboard. And neither do attorneys, you know. Um, a lot of people don't have scoreboards. Realtors have scoreboards. Uh, all our listings have to go in MLS. They calculate the days on market. They calculate what it sold for, what you listed it for, how long it stayed, what the uh, first list price was. So all the information about the realtors online. Let's go online. Just say, I need your track record. And then make sure you can authenticate that that track record is selling the house as you are, right? They've already taken the roller coaster out a hundred times and brought it back. We're all good, right? Then you trust them and move forward. But make sure you check it out before you before you put your trust in somebody. You need to authenticate that you have the right person. But the collaboration, there's a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars of risk out there. You sure better be working with the right person. You sure better be trusting what they say. Um, in a market like this, it's going to get a little rough. The waters are going to get a little rough. People instead of selling in ten days, it's going to sit, 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 sit. It's a lot of money at stake. I hope this helps. My name is Casey Sampson. This has been Coffee with Casey, or I guess Lunch with Casey at 12.30. Um, we'll be here at 12.30 again next week for Lunch with Casey and, um, and talk about, you know, whatever's on the market. Um, we'll see how the market's reacting. Um, I do believe that the three quarters of a point that they raised the interest rates, I think it hit a lot of people in the face. I think it staggered them. I do believe they're back on their feet again and back in the market. But that was a that was a gut punch, and so we need to be very thoughtful 
about how we move forward. The thought for today was the prices people are paying are actually, if you're a seller, if you're thinking about selling, are actually, you know, 15 to 20% over where the adjusted price would be, adjusted value for inflation. We're just going to try and capture as much of that money as we possibly can while it's still here. My name is Casey Sampson. You can catch me at Casey at CaseySampson.com. You can give me a call, 703-508-2535. Or check out our website at CaseySampson.com, where Julie posts all these podcasts. Julie is wonderful. Posts every one of these podcasts. And you get to all of them at CaseySampson.com slash podcast. We'll see everyone next week. Thanks for listening. Bye now.